It was the day the world turned upside down. I'm Ray Notgrass, and today we'll talk about that day on Exploring History. Welcome to Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. It was the day the world turned upside down. Why did the leaders of God's people spit on the Son of God? Then what was the Son of God doing standing bound, being lied about by religious leaders, and facing interrogation by a pagan governor? Then, why was the Son of God hanging on a cross? The world had turned upside down. Why were people begging for Barabbas, a convicted criminal, to be released, and for Jesus, the innocent Son of God, to be crucified? Why did the all-powerful Savior have to endure merciless mockery and beatings? Why did the hands that had touched lepers in compassion that had washed feet in humility, that had healed blind eyes and deaf ears in miraculous power, have to be pierced by nails and hung on a cross. It was the day the world turned upside down. Why did the one who had given his all have to be executed with two men who had taken all they could as robbers? Why did people who witnessed this greatest ever act of love and self-sacrifice ridicule the one who was doing it? Why did Jesus, who was completely one with God, cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was a Roman centurion the only person we know of at the scene to declare Jesus to be the Son of God? Why did the Lord of life, who had always been alive, lay dead in a borrowed tomb? It was the day the world turned upside down. To be sure, the events of that day accomplished God's will. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, bringing about redemption, and meeting God's requirement for justice. But on the surface, things had gone wrong, badly wrong. Judaism, the religion of God's people, had largely descended into legalism. Its leaders were more concerned about ritual minutiae and preserving their own position than about serving God and growing in justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Israel had become a frustrated theocracy, the people of God living in the Promised Land, but who were ruled by yet another foreign pagan power. Historians have described Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea at the time, as inflexible, merciless, and stubborn. He cared little about the Jews and their ways, but it was this man who appeared to hold the fate of the Son of God in his hands. Barabbas was something of a popular hero. He had, after all, done what so many Jews wanted to do. He had taken part in an insurrection against the Romans, even killing someone in the attempted revolt. Jesus, on the other hand, was a rather disappointing Messiah in the eyes of many. He had passed up opportunities to lead an army into Jerusalem. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem a week earlier had fizzled out. He had used his obviously great power, 
just to heal some sick individuals. His words were not about throwing out the Romans and restoring the glory days of David and Solomon, but about mustard seeds and humility and purity of heart, hardly an agenda for a messianic revolt. As a result, the crowd shouted, Crucify him! They were saying, in effect, We've had enough of him. He had his chance and he let it slip through his fingers. We have no use for him now. Away with him. This man was divine, equal with God. He had done nothing wrong. He had only come to help and to save. His so-called crime was speaking God's truth, challenging the religious system that had gone astray, challenging people to examine their own hearts, and calling his listeners to repent. For that, he was being run through a mock legal procedure and executed. Things had gone wrong, badly wrong. The soldiers who mocked and beat Jesus demonstrated the worst within us. The Roman soldiers in Judea by and large hated their lot and hated the people they tried to control, just as those people hated them. As these Roman soldiers were beating and mocking Jesus, perhaps they were venting their frustrations or getting themselves worked up into a frenzy to be ready to execute this man, or maybe they were just carrying out the harsh so-called justice of the mighty Roman Empire. But no one deserves to be treated the way they treated Jesus. No prisoner deserves to be treated the way they treated Jesus. No innocent person deserves to be treated the way they treated Jesus. Certainly, the Son of God didn't deserve to be treated the way they treated Jesus. Things had gone wrong, badly wrong. Crucifixion was one of the most brutal forms of capital punishment ever known. In a typical Roman execution, the executioners drove long spikes through the victim's hands and feet. They fastened the crossbeam to the upright, and the entire cross with the victim on it was thumped into the hole in which it would stand. The weight of his body tore at the spikes as he hung there. Sometimes the upright had a small seat on which the victim could sit for momentary relief. The body weight and increasing exhaustion would cause the body to slump, which made breathing difficult. The victim would push up on his nailed feet to gasp for air. His body would be racked with pain and his throat torn by thirst. Finally, the physical exhaustion would take its toll. The victim could no longer keep himself alive and his physical system would shut down. Sometimes this only took a few hours, but sometimes the victim would survive for days. All this sinful human beings did to the sinless Son of God. The passers-by and the religious leaders, not content with having brought about his execution, ridiculed and taunted Jesus as he hung on the cross. They mocked him in his helplessness and pain, the helplessness and pain that he endured on their behalf. Things had gone wrong, badly wrong. But what happened that day had to happen. Jesus the innocent suffered at the hands of sinners. He bore the sins of people, all the sins that humans can commit, hatred, envy, disdain for God, lying, murder. Jesus bore it all. He was the only acceptable substitute for mankind. He demonstrated complete devotion to the will of God when everyone around him was lost in sin. 
The inscription of the charge against Jesus that Pilate had written on a sign that he posted on the cross was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. No doubt Pilate had great delight in putting the Jews in their place with this sign. Pilate was saying, here's the head Jew. The rest of you had better not cross Rome again. We're the real power here. And yet, the sign was absolutely correct. Here indeed was the king of the Jews, the one who was descended from David, who fulfilled the royal line, the one who was the ultimate Jew, the person of God among the people of God, the one in whom God accomplished his will, the one who was God's redemption for the whole world. It was precisely because Jesus was the king of the Jews, because he was the Messiah, God's chosen instrument of atonement and reconciliation, that all this was happening to him. This was what happened to the king of the Jews, because he, as the chosen one, is God's mediator through his blood. What happened that day had to happen. The chief priests and scribes taunted, He saved others. He cannot save himself. They mockingly thought, Jesus boldly offered to save others, and now he is helpless to save his own hide. And yet, again, their statement was ironically true. If he was going to save others, he could not save himself. He had to give himself in death for others to have life. He could not save himself because he was saving others. What happened that day had to happen. The Gentile centurion looked at Jesus on the cross and confessed him to be the Son of God. It is ironic that this Roman, probably a pagan, made this confession, but that is what the sincere heart of faith will do when someone looks at Jesus on the cross. The gospel presents Jesus Christ and him crucified. When the willing heart listens to that message and looks at Jesus' atoning and reconciling death on the cross, the response of faith will be, truly, this man is the Son of God. One of the robbers on another cross had a similar reaction when he looked on Jesus on the cross. What happened that day had to happen. It had to happen because God, in His power and mercy, was making right all the things that had gone wrong. He was dealing with sin. He was reconciling man to Himself. He was demonstrating the power of a life submitted to the will of God when the world had rejected God. That is why the Christian world calls the day when the awful crucifixion of Christ took place Good Friday. It was terrible for Him, but it was good for us. That so many things went wrong that day simply shows how sin was ingrained into the human walk. It shows us the cost of sin and the cost of dealing with that sin. The world had, in fact, been turned upside down because of sin. Now, at last, in what happened that day, the world was finally being turned right side up. I'm Ray Notgrass. Thanks for exploring this day in history, this sacred day in history with me. May you have a blessed Easter. This has been Exploring History with Ray Notgrass, a production of Notgrass History. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating and review so that we can reach more people with our episodes. If you want to learn about new homeschool resources and opportunities from Knockgrass History, you can sign up for our email newsletter at exploringhistorypodcast.com. This program was produced by me, Titus Anderson. Thanks for listening.